one day I'll get that transition right. <laughs> It'll be a smooth transition from the intro to, to me. Uh, good morning, everyone. Happy Friday. Good to be here with you. It's good to be doing the show again. Um, this is Just Human, number 217. We have some good stuff to look at. Trump got some wins yesterday. Uh, Jack Smith took some losses yesterday. Fannie took some losses yesterday. The Bidens took some losses yesterday. I know a lot of people are saying that the Hunter Biden indictment is a distraction and it doesn't mean anything, but that's what they always say. They always say this stuff is a distraction, and when they do, it just makes me pay more attention to it. So we're going to get into all of those things um, today and maybe a bit more. I'm kind of flushed with content to cover, and I hope I laid it all out correctly in the order I need to present it in. We'll find out. May even do a little bit of a decode because uh, I I noticed something yesterday that I thought, and other people noticed it too. Um, not too complicated, but I think it's kind of fun. So we'll get into that. Hope you are having a good one. I'm pretty excited about today. Besides this show, um, this afternoon, this evening, we're going to go see about a puppy, um, a couple puppies that we may, we're going to pick one out maybe if if it's the right puppy for us. So I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm going to take my boys over to, uh, uh, this folks home that has a, has a, I think they have three puppies left and yeah, it's good. Good time. We're ready. We're ready to get a new dog. Um, so it's been about, I think it's been two years. I think it's been two years since our, since our last one passed away. So kids are older now and, We've, we've fairly well healed up after that loss and uh, ready for another one. So I'm, ex I'm excited about it. My, uh, my wife and I are trying to prepare ourselves to say no, because we know that we're going to get there no matter what. The kids are going to want to take a puppy home and we're going to have to be the adults to decide, hmm, is this the right puppy for our, our house? You know, so we've got to... Uh, We've got to prep ourselves to be willing to to walk away, uh, which is which is difficult. So anyway, uh, it's a pit lab mix, which is what we had last time. We've had uh, a pit lab mix and then a uh, a full pit bull. Uh, there was a, a American Staffordshire Terrier, razor cut, whatever. Uh, it was amazing, and uh, these look good. So. Anyway, let's get let's get to uh, this show today. If I start talking about the puppies too much, I'm gonna that's all I'm gonna think about because I'm I'm probably just as excited as my kids are. <laughs> um, all right, before we get into the content, and why is this a little, this is a little crooked? Why is this? What's going on here? Now oh, that'll work. Okay, so before we get to all of this stuff, I need to tell you uh, that. If you want to support the show and you also want some delicious honey or barbecue sauce or candy, you should go to BensonHoneyFarms.com and use rep code JUSTHUMAN. When you do that, you get a delicious product for yourself that is super healthy and it's raw honey. I put it in my coffee every single morning. Um, it's not pasteurized or overheated or anything like that. It's just straight up honey. And it's amazing. And they have other products there that I love. I keep on mentioning the soap because... I absolutely, I love bar soap and I'm not one of those like shower gel guys. I, I like bar soap and I think there's this bar soap is amazing. Uh, so 
feels really good on my skin. I love it. Um, right now they have a special where if you, if you buy over 50, basically $50 of products, like it's, I think she said 49.99, but basically $50 of product, you get free candy with it. So if you want some honey, you want some soap, you want some barbecue sauce, whatever, bentonhoneyfarms.com, use rep code just human. If you buy $50 worth, you get free candy with your order. Another way to support the show is to go to Red White Bourbon 45, and that's where my merch is. You can get yourself some glasses, pint glasses, coffee cups, shirt stickers, hoodies, whatever. Whatever. Whatever you're into. Looks like there's 29 products over there. I should add some new products. I haven't updated this store in a while. Uh, maybe that's something I can work on this weekend while watching Formula One. Um, but redwhitebourbon45.com if you would like some merch. And then the number one way to support the show, the absolute best way, is justhuman.substack.com. Get a subscription. You can get a free one. Like, everything on here is free. So if you just want to sign up and get, like, the podcast and a, the occasional article, then go there, justhuman.substack.com, and sign up for free. But if you're interested in supporting the show uh, financially, then a, 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 subscri a paid subscription here is the best, is the best way. Substack has stood up for creators quite a few times, and I really appreciate that. Um, they were targeted to take all of us off right after the buy me a coffee thing happened, and uh, they said no. And I think on Rumble, people whose name is highlighted, um, like red, has like a red background on their, their chat comments, I think that means you're a supporter on Rumble. Which is awesome. Thank you very much. I don't mention that very... I haven't mentioned it, I don't think, since it first was introduced, but a lot of y'all are supporters, and I really appreciate that. Um, Dsellers91, Rumble Rant, keep up the great work. Taught me to quit getting angry at the news and enjoy it. Ah, you're welcome. That is the goal. Yeah, that's awesome. Mediocre at best. Thank you for the rant. Have you followed any of the Kim Paxton trial? No, I haven't been following it closely. Um, I basically just have to, I mean, I have to choose what I'm going to pay attention to. And I decided that Eastman's trial and Kim Paxton's trial, I saw, I saw a lot of coverage on it from other channels. And um, I'm already so deep in what I was already following that so I don't think I can add it in. I don't think I can really focus on it. I did notice... And this is probably going to upset some people, but to me, Ken Paxton seems to be both awesome and to, from like the MAGA perspective, Ken Paxton seems to be awesome. I've seen some support for him from Trump and, and others. Um, but Ken Paxton also seems to have made some swampy friends. Um, I was looking into some of the... Uh, um, the paperwork that came out on him before the impeachment trial and look, he's got some swampy friends. Now, most people in elected office have swampy friends. So I think all of them are guilty of that, but it did look to me like Paxton had probably benefited, benefited from his friendship with some swampy people. Um, but it also looks to me like it's a witch hunt in a way. And it's, it's rhinos and it's Democrats trying to take out a MAGA AG. I think all things are true at the same time. Is it worthy of impeachment? I don't really think so. But like I said, 
I haven't been paying super close attention to it. The Eastman case has been pretty interesting. I saw some of that stuff that came out um, yesterday uh, with Garland Favorito. Um, that looked awesome. Um, so good content. There's good stuff coming out on that. I'm not caught up on it, but I did see some good stuff coming out of that. Um, there's so much going on. It's like drinking from a fire hose every day with this news cycles, these news cycles. So we're going to get into Fulton, by the way, just so I don't trigger anybody. I like Kim Paxton and I think he's great, but I also think that there's, there's some, there's some, there's some fire there that's produced some smoke and, uh, yeah, but I think it's, I think it's kind of like this. That's, that's that world. All right. So yesterday the judge severed Trump's Georgia election interference case from the 16 others. Okay. There's well that I'm totally misspeaking. Let me start again. You guys may recall that the Fannie, the Fannie Willis DA, her office, she wants to keep all of these defendants together. And I've stated many times why she wants to keep them together. She wants the headlines. She wants to present her case one time and all at once, all four months of it, all 150 witnesses of it. She wants it to be a huge spectacle, trial of the century. It, it would be on camera, streamed on YouTube, which would be amazing. Um, would love it. Kenneth Cheesebro and Sidney Powell, they chose accelerationism as a strategy, and they filed for a speedy trial. Now, in Georgia, they have a unique speedy trial law, which means that if you file for a speedy trial, your trial must take place within the next jury term or you're acquitted automatically. So this was a, a great move by Cheesebro and Sidney Powell because it's forcing the DA to prepare for a trial much earlier than they would have wanted to. and. It also offers the opportunity to get a preview of Fannie's case. Fannie met accelerationism with her own accelerationism and said, I'll try all of these people together. I don't want my RICO case broken up. I want all of these defendants right here that you see on screen to be in the courtroom at the same time. And if that means I have to go to trial with all of them on October 23rd, then that's what I'll do. Bold move by Fannie. Um, she, didn't, she then, I think in a very... I don't know. Cheeky's not the right word. Um, she also told the judge that, look, if you don't do this, if you do allow these cases to be severed, which would be automatic, right? If Kenneth Cheesebro and Powell are going to be tried before the others, then automatically their cases are severed from the others. Um, if you don't do this, then I'm going to put on a four-month trial for Cheesebro and Powell, and then I'm going to do a four-month trial for the rest. She was basically telling the judge that if you don't keep them all together, I'm going to make this miserable for you because you're going to experience the same trial twice and the trial is going to take four months. She literally told the judge that even though the four month setup and the 150 witnesses are to cover all of these defendants, I'll just use it. I'll present the same case for just two of them. And then that way, I think she was trying to get the judge to be like, oh, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to 
that's going to be a mess. I don't want to have to experience the same trial twice, especially when it's a four month long trial. You're going to tie me up with this for a whole year. Um, well, anyway, the judge didn't go along with that. And, um, the judge ruled yesterday that he is going to sever Cheesebro and Powell's case from the rest. So the judge overseeing the Georgia election interference case has severed the case, ordering that 17 defendants, 17, including former President Trump, will not be tried alongside Cheesebro and Sidney Powell on October 23rd. So mark your calendars. Kenneth Cheesebro and Sidney Powell are headed to trial on October 23rd. It will be on YouTube. And I expect that we'll probably be covering it on Badlands. Um, we'll see how it develops, but looking forward to it. We'll see how much of a, if she actually follows through with her claim to the judge that she's going to put on a four month trial for just these two defendants. Um, the judge, however, did say that any defendant who does not waive their right to speedy trial before October 23rd will immediately join the trial. Trump already waived his speedy trial rights. So we may see other defendants moved into this October 23rd case. We'll see. But that is a loss for Fanny. Um, and this right here is a loss. Meadows, now, now, Look at what the media did. Look at what the media... This happened with almost every headline yesterday from the MSM. They ran the headline, Meadows drops request to pause Georgia prosecution. And they did that because when you, when you say it that way, it makes it seem like Meadows gave up. Like, he took the L. He... He gave up because he couldn't win. That's what it looks like whenever you read a headline that says Meadows drops whatever. That's what people automatically think. Because usually that's just how they perceive these things. Whenever someone drops a motion or drops a, an effort in a, in a trial. Um, but it wasn't. It isn't a loss. He dropped because he won. <laughs> he dropped his motion to pause the Georgia prosecution because of that ruling I just told you about. And it was no longer, it was meaningless for him to be asking the court for a pause in the Georgia prosecution when he was already severed from it. Vanny was trying to get Meadows included with the October 23rd trial. Judge didn't agree. Meadows, while he's appealing to the federal circuit, uh, the appeals court to, get his case removed to federal court. He had asked them to pause the Georgia prosecution because he didn't want, because what could happen, what he's afraid, what they're afraid of is that he would still be waiting for his appeal in federal court to be heard and to be decided upon. And then for him to be waiting for that and to also be on trial at the same time in state court. So he wanted the pause. Now he doesn't need the pause because he's not, he's not connected to it anymore. But you see right there, that's the trick that the media pulls with their language. They made it seem like Meadows gave up when, in fact, he had won. And so his filing for a pause was now meaningless. It was not needed at all. Now, something else that's kind of uh, interesting that I noticed. I'm not going to make too much of this, but I just happened to notice this. And it looks like 
um, Fanny's office got caught with some intimidation? Not quite sure. Okay, not quite sure. But it seems like they got caught with some some uh, poor taste. It's a, it's a it's in poor taste what was done here. So. Schaefer posted yesterday, I re- this was on September 7th, so this happened a week ago, I'm a bit behind, but I think it's worth noting. Um, I'm kind of wondering if this comes up later. The ju- The reason it came to the news yesterday is because a judge dismissed it. He was like, I don't got time for this. Yesterday, this is from David Schaefer, he's one of the, he's a Geo- Georgia GOP guy, and he's one of the defendants. He said, yesterday I received an eight-page solicitation from the Wade and Campbell law firm to represent me in the Trump indictment. Nathan Wade, pictured on the cover, is the Trump special prosecutor appointed by Fannie Willis. We have notified the judge and moved for an immediate hearing. So he got he he got that hearing and the judge was just like, yeah, I don't have time for this. There's so much more important things going on. This just seems silly. Don't bring me silly stuff like this. It's what the judge said. But I want to make y'all aware of it because this is the pamphlet he received Eight pages. It has his name on it. And it says, Wade and Campbell, our clients come first. Atlanta, criminal defense. David Schaefer, impersonating a public officer. Okay, that's the charge. So, but this the problem here, guys, if you don't know, is that Wade, this guy in the picture, is one of Fanny's prosecutors against Schaefer. So... Wade's law firm sent an eight-page personalized personalized pamphlet to one of the defendants in the RICO case that this guy isn't doing criminal defense for. He's a prosecutor. Now, this, this Georgia State law guy with the rainbow flag in his profile said nothing will happen with this because it's mind-numbingly stupid to claim Schaefer's team that claim by Schaefer's team to suggest that an auto-generated advertisement from a law firm is somehow a real problem or creates a conflict. Well, auto-generated. So does this firm auto-generate these pamphlets for every defendant that comes across Atlanta and they personalize it with their name and the charge against them? If that's the case, all right. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. Oh, good morning, CanCon. Nice to see you here. You have a great day, man. Um, like, sure, sure, it could be nor- perfectly normal, right? But when one of the people there is a prosecutor against the defendant who's personalized on the pamphlet, it comes across to me like some form of intimidation. Now, Schaefer requested a hearing on this pamphlet he received from Nathan Wade's law firm regarding his 2020 election case. Other co-defendants also received the pamphlet and joined it, so they sent it to other defendants, too. McAfee denied Schaefer's request, and this is what the judge said. While presumably embarrassing... On the part of the special prosecutor Wade and his firm, this case should not be sidetracked by matters which facially lack merit. Going forward, the substantive and unprecedented legal arguments generated by this case will require many hearings, but this is not one of them. The motions are denied. All right. So he didn't get a motion on it, but I think it was worth Schaefer and the other defendants pointing this out because 
I just have a hard time believing that it was auto-generated and sent out. I I think it was a uh, I think it's a bit of intimidation in a way. Like to me, I think it's a message from the special prosecutor saying, you know, we could be your defense attorney instead of your a prosecutor if you wanted to help us out with the rest of the prosecution, like if you wanted to flip. That's how I read it. I read it as a cheeky way with plausible deniability to send a message, hey, you know, we could be your criminal defense attorneys instead of the prosecutors across the table from you. Just saying. That's how I read it. Judge didn't read it that way. I don't really blame him for that, but yeah. All right, let's talk about Special Counsel Smith. So just to recap on the Fulton County situation with the RICO, where we're at right now is that Cheesebro and Power headed to trial on October 23rd. They could have other defendants join them. Meadows is waiting for his removal uh, hearing to be in the appeals. It's in the appeals court. They have it. He's waiting for them to to deal with it. There's motions going to be back and forth on it, but he's trying to remove his case to uh, federal court. Jeff Clark has his hearing, I think, on Monday. I think about his removal to federal court. I expect he'll lose. And I expect he'll appeal. Trump said he may file to remove his case to federal court. We'll see what happens. All right. Now, Smith took an L yesterday. Or maybe it wasn't yesterday. Maybe it was two days ago. Everything runs together for me. Two days ago. Yes, 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 yes. There's SIPA. Let's do this one first. Let's do this one first. Court blocks Jack Smith's access to many of Rep. Scott Perry's contacts about 2020 election. You guys may remember I covered this a while back. Um, Oh, shit. Cinco 64, you're so right. Rico is a good puppy name. Hmm. Dang. That is a good name. I'm going to throw that out there. I'm totally going to throw that out there for the... One of the puppies is a male. And then two of them are female. Um... I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw that out there. Thanks. <laughs> All right. So you guys may remember me talking about this. I talked about it on the Devolution Power Hour. Sorry that, sorry, I'm gonna repeat some stuff that was on the Devolution Power Hour, but I am because you know, I like talking about it. And John and Burning Bright aren't here to interrupt me. Uh, so you guys may remember Scott Perry's phone was seized while he was in an ep- airport by the FBI about a year ago. They took it. It was related to the investigation into the alternate electors uh, scheme and stuff like that. Efforts to overturn the 2020 election and uh, investigators took it. It went to a filter team who is there to make sure there's nothing on it. That's attorney client privilege and all that stuff. We've gone over this before in my show uh, when discussing Trump's the raid on Mar-a-Lago. So, but when Jack Smith, that all got tied up 
in uh in legal battles because Scott Perry immediately filed saying no I have protections because I'm a law I am a uh, elected representative and I have some immunity here you can't just come and go through my stuff as if as if I'm reg- any regular person uh which may or may not be the case uh regardless there is some immunity protections so he filed that got tied up in a legal battle and then Smith was named special counsel which meant he inherited this investigation he didn't do anything with it for a while now he has started fighting uh fighting with it to try and get access to everything on the phone a judge has ruled that yeah Smith you can access some stuff but not all or three three judges have ruled that a three judge panel of the DC Circuit Court of Appeals concluded that prosecutors efforts to access the cell phone communications of representative Scott Perry with colleagues and executive branch officials violated his immunity under the Constitution's speech and debate clause, which shields members of Congress from legal proceedings connected to their official duties. Um, we've talked about this uh, this clause before in Wonder. We talked about it with uh, Mike Pence, I think, whenever Jack Smith was trying to uh, get Mike Pence to testify in front of a grand jury. Uh, and fought it and um, cited the speech and debate clause as protection. And I remember it was, I think it was me and music and fiction. I don't know if he's here this morning, but I think we were going back and forth about it. And he suggested, and I agreed with them that the speech and debate clause needs to be trimmed. The protections it provides needs to be narrowed a bit because it provides too much protection to lawmakers. And one of the things that we our biases um, tend to play into here, they play in they play into this matter as regards Scott Perry. It plays into um, the situation as regards Kim Paxton, where our biases make us want to assume maximum protection and maximum good of people who we perceive to be on our side, and make us less willing to entertain the notion that actually they shouldn't have as much protection. Actually, they might be a little bit corrupt. Actually, they may have made some mistakes. These relationships aren't very good. So we, our biases skew things for us, and it works both ways. Our biases against people pl- play out similarly. So is this something to be aware of? In our, when it comes to this specific matter, we see speech and debate clause, and our biases are like, oh, yeah, they're totally protected. He can't get access to it. But should it be that way? I think it should be narrowed a bit. It should be trying to good morning, music and fiction. I see, I see you here. Um, I think it should be trimmed a bit, and I think we would all be more inclined to think that if it wasn't Scott Perry here, but say it was Debbie Wasserman Schultz, right? I think that's one of the th- one uh, tactic or uh, method that we uh, we all would benefit from including myself, is if when we look at these these hearings and we look at these uh, legal efforts um, and these investigations, if we switch out who that target is for someone who we perceive to be like on the other side, and then how does it strike us? Like if this was a battle over Debbie Wasserman Schultz's phone... I think we're all going to be like, no, you're not protected by that. Go get him. Get everything off that phone. But then when it's Scott Perry, we're like, oh, no, he's America first. He's MAGA. We can't. No, 
he's protected. You can't get access to his phone. See how that works? So something to be aware of. Anyway, what the three judges said was, while elections are political events, a member's deliberation about whether to certify a presidential election or how to assess information relevant to legislation about federal election procedures are textbook legislative acts, said Judge Naomi Rao. The decision breaks new ground in a decades-long tug-of-war between Congress and the executive branch. For the first time, an appeals court has held that lawmakers' cell phones are subject to the same protections as their physical offices. And it is the first significant legal setback for Smith in his bid to obtain evidence about involvement by allies of then-President Donald Trump in his effort to subvert the 2020 election. It's unclear whether Smith will appeal the decision to the full bench of the D.C. Circuit or to the Supreme Court. His office declined to comment as it did last week when the court released an order broadly outlining the outcome of the fight. The decision from Rao, a Trump appointee, was joined by another Trump appointee, Judge Greg Katsis, and by Judge Karen LeCraft Henderson, who was nominated by President George H.W. Bush. However, Katsis filed a separate concurring opinion, saying he viewed the privilege for lawmakers more narrowly than the other judges on the panel, but the disagreement wasn't meaningful in Perry's case. Interesting that that judge did that. That's, he didn't do that just because... Okay, well, he may have, but most likely he didn't write a separate concurring opinion just because he enjoys writing opinions. Uh, although it, it may be true he enjoyed writing it. He did that for a reason. So we have, they want, these judges produce two opinions shoring up protections for uh, legislators' devices and protect them in the same way that their offices are protected. I'm now wondering if... This decision is going to be used by Meadows, used by Trump, used by Jeff Clark, used by a number of other people who were serving in federal capacity, in their federal capacity, as elected or appointed members of the federal of the federal government. And they're going to cite the, these two opinions and say, yep, I need protections. The D.C. Court of Appeals agrees. I need the same protections. Watch for it. It may come up. Especially if they go after like uh, Trump's phones or uh, Dan Scavino. What if they go after Dan Scavino's phone? Okay. Is there anything else I want to pull out of here? Um, Representative Perry's conversations with other members concerned the passage of proposed legislation as well as the exercise of the constitutional duty to certify the electoral votes for the 2020 election. These communications were privileged and we, and we leave it to the district court to implement this holding on a communication by communication basis. So it doesn't mean that Smith gets nothing, but it does mean that he can't just get any communication he wants. They're going to have to look at it one by one to see which which uh, which communication, which messages, emails, phone calls, whatever, do not fit within his legislative duties. I'm sure they'll use a filter team to to do it, uh, just like with Trump and the Mar-a-Lago raid. 
To the extent Representative Perry also suggests the privilege extends to any and all factual conversations a member has with individuals outside Congress. Our case law offers no support for that assertion. That's Perry trying to protect every single phone call and message he got. They said, no, you can't protect it all. Uh, that's a bit overbroad. But most of it's going to be protected. So a L for Jack Smith. Now, I talked about this on the Power Hour. I tried to go through it really quickly. If you guys didn't notice on De on Devolution Power Hour on a Wednesday, uh, John came into that episode ready to rant. And boy, did he produce an epic rant. <laughs> it was John Harold at his best. And uh, but he was he came into that episode ready to do the rant that he was going to do. So he rushed me through the Trump cases update because he just couldn't wait to just lay it out. Like <laughs> he was chomping at the see he made it like, you know, he's all rubbing his neck over there and he was making it like he uh, like, oh, yeah, I've been on these flights and I'm so sore. Like, no, guys. Guys, guys, <laughs> that was him. That was him just like trying to hold in the rant that he could not wait to do. He wanted me to go through my presentation as fast as possible so that he could get to his. <laughs> and that's why he was like, oh, oh, I can't believe Kyle is talking about this for so long. <laughs> that's that's what was going on. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to go back to this because I want to point some things out. And I could be, as I say in this thread, I could be half past clever on this. I could be reading too much into this. But I, I'm super interested in this battle over classified information in this case. That's what SIPA is. It's Classified Information Protection Act, I believe is what it stands for. And it's what's used in cases when there's going to be some form of classified information used by defense, used by the prosecution, whatever. It has to be shared in discovery. And it's just the procedures for handling that classified information so that it's only shown to people who have clearances and if they need to declassify it so that it can be presented in court, there's a procedure for that. It's procedural stuff, but it is important. And the reason it's I'm uniquely interested in it when it comes to Trump's docs case is because that case is about classified information. So I want to see, I want to see some clues or some indicators that actually Trump did declassify all this stuff, or it's just marked classified or that it really was classified. I mean, I'm willing. I know that, like Trump has said that he declassified everything and so has Cash Patel, but I'm willing to uh, entertain the idea that maybe this stuff wasn't declassified, that maybe Trump did take classified information and he did it with good reason. Like if this, if it turned out Trump took classified information that he should not have had and he stored it at Mar-a-Lago, let's say he did it intentionally. He did it. He wanted it. Okay. Then I want to know why. I don't think he did it just because he wanted a souvenir and I don't think he did it because he was going to sell it or some bullshit like that, I think he probably had a good reason to do it, and I'm very interested in what that reason would be. I'm also willing to entertain the, entertain the idea that he did take classified information, but had no idea that he did, because he didn't pack those boxes. The, GS, the GSA did. Uh, and, and Hutchison, what is it? Kathleen Hutchison or whatever. 
the uh, the plant um, in the GSA, they packed all these boxes. So maybe somebody planted the classified information in there in order to catch him with it down the road. Maybe it's all a setup and they entrapped him, right? So I'm willing to believe that it's all declassified and there's no, it's just marked classified, but it really was declassified. I'm also willing to believe that it was declassified by Trump and then the Biden administration reclassified it in order to catch Trump and create a crime. All of those things are possible. And so what I'm looking for in these this filing and in the battle over SIPA is if there, there are any indicators one way or the other, if there's anything I can see that points in one direction or the other or shores up one, one hypothesis or the other. The other thing I'm interested in, of, of course, is the template, because everything that happens in these cases is, is setting precedent. It's cutting a template that is going to be there for other cases against high officials. I don't know who. I'm not, not promising or predicting it'll be used against Obama or Bush or Hillary or Podesta or whoever. I'm not predicting that, but I, I am thinking that. I'm thinking along those lines. Like I mentioned on Devolution Power Hour, when I see stuff happening with Meadows, I'm thinking about John Podesta. And imagining how, and and like trying to envision how what happens with Meadows in this case could apply to a future case against Podesta, which I do believe is sealed right now and will be unsealed at some point in the near future. All right, so introduction over. Judge Cannon's ruling on this matter. I have a few threads on this thing. I've been following it closely. We learned that there was a Mar there was a, a skiff at Mar-a-Lago. We've always known that, but we have it in a legal document now from Trump's side that there was uh, that there is a skiff at Mar-a-Lago. It's just not accredited right now. It's not certified right now. All right. So in this ruling from Cannon, she points back to docket entry 66, 66. That entry on the docket is right here. By the way, this ruling is docket entry 150. So just to show you guys how much action happens in this case, this is one of several cases. This is document 66 from July 10th. Cannon's ruling is document 150 from September 13th. So golly, it's a lot of documents to read every day. Anyway, this one was a response um, from Trump's team to uh, to DOJ over the uh, SIPA and a scheduling order, which was on docket entry number 28. The reason I'm po she points back to it in her footnotes, Cannon does. And this is what's interesting about it. This footnote right here says this order is entered without prejudice to any potential challenges to the constitutional and statutory challenges to the authority of the special counsel to maintain this action to the quote purported classification status of certain documents at issue in this action. If you're not, that sounds kind of convoluted, but I'm going to show you why she's pointing that out. This is from that filing from Trump's attorneys. Back in July, they wrote, additionally, the legal questions are significant and present issues of first impression. 
the intersection between the Presidential Records Act and the various criminal statutes at issue has never been addressed by any court, and in the defendant's view, will result in a dismissal of the indictment. This is the battle between the Presidential Records Act and the Espionage Act. As you know, Jack Smith is using the Espionage Act to go after Trump. But Trump's defense is the Presidential Records Act, which Jack Smith has not addressed at all. And his attorneys here are saying, look, this battle between those two things, we believe will result in a dismissal of this indictment. The authority, vel non, of the special counsel to maintain this action likewise presents a potentially dispositive issue of first impression in this court. Additional significant matters include the classification status of the documents and their purported impact on national security interest, the propriety of utilizing any secret evidence in a case of this nature, and the potential inability to select an impartial jury during a national presidential election. Moreover, the extensive and voluminous discovery coupled with the challenges presented by the purportedly classified material that has yet to be produced will require significant time for review and assimilation. All of these questions further warrant a continuance. The government's apparent view that these unprecedented issues should be adjudicated on an expedited basis is simply untenable and ignores the magnitude of this case. So the defense attorneys back on July 10th for Trump said, we're going to use the Presidential Records Act to have this entire case dismissed. And we're going to challenge the classification status of the documents that are being used here by Smith to say and claim that Trump shouldn't have had them because they're classified. We're going to challenge the very status of the classification on those documents once we see them because we haven't even seen them yet. They haven't been produced because this whole SIPA issue hasn't been dealt with. Moreover, as also noted above, the defendants, Trump's team, anticipate pursuing constitutional and statutory challenges relative to the authority of the special counsel to maintain this action. Additional issues of first impression for this court. He's saying that does Jack Smith have the authority to bring this action against us, to bring this indictment against us when Trump is, when Trump is protected by the Presidential Records Act? and declassified this stuff. The defendants may also challenge the purported classification status of certain documents. So they said it tw they said both things twice in that filing and canon what she's doing here in her order by citing this in the footnote those specific quotes is she's telling Trump's defense team I'm aware that you're planning to go here. I've noted it and I'm expecting it. I need more coffee. All right, now keep going. The defendants believe there should simply be no secret evidence, nor any facts concealed from public view relative to the prosecution of a leading presidential candidate by his political opponent. Our democracy demands no less than full transparency but it is nonetheless premature to engage in the evaluations of such issue. 
And they say it's it's premature because Trump's team hasn't been allowed to see the evidence against them. They haven't seen any of the classified stuff. So they're wanting it, and that's what this decision leads to. Now back to Cannon's order. So that what I just went through was that filing from the sixth filing in the filing from July 10th, which Cannon pointed back to. Now this here's Cannon's order right here. Smith wins on this. His motion is granted. Trump doesn't get explicit permission to use his skiff at Mar-a-Lago. Instead, what Cannon did was leave it up to the CISO, the Chief Information Security Officer. And she leaves it up to him over and over and over again as to where these, this uh, classified information can be, can be looked at. The language from Cannon is what I'm kind of wondering if I'm being a little too clever about. So you guys can judge for yourself whether you think I am. Here's the language that Cannon is using. It's has been. This case will involve information that has been classified in the interest of national security. When I saw that it said has been, I was like, okay. It doesn't say is. It says has been. So you got to ask, is it still? Was it previously classified and then reclassified post-January 2021? Why does she keep, why is it saying it has been? This case will involve information that has been classified in the interest of national security. And then here, any document recording or information that has been classified by any executive branch agency, any document recording information now or formerly in the possession of a private party that has been classified by the United States. Like I, like I said, I may be half past clever here, but I can't help but notice that it keeps saying has been classified. And then here on page four of 16, it changes to that is classified. So look at these verbal or other unwritten or unrecorded information known to the defendant or the defense team that has been classified by the United States government as set forth above. And then here. Any document recording or information that is classified as set forth in that has been approved by the United States government for limited authorized disclosure. And, and really, when I saw this change right here from has been to is, that made me think maybe I'm not being too clever here because of that change in verbiage. Um, and so what I'm reading into that is... Is this a, a kind of subtle acknowledgement that this stuff was at one time classified and, may, and its classification status is questionable now? Is that why Canon has the verbiage of has been rather than is? And she makes a distinguish, she distinguishes between what has been classified and then what is. Is she doing that because, like she did on the first page, of this order, she's following up with her note here, acknowledging that she expects Trump team to challenge the classification status of the documents at issue in the case. So by using the language of has been, 
is she trying to avoid being prejudicial? Does that make sense? Again, I really could be overthinking this and being too much of a squirrel on it, but it, it stands out to me. And then right here, Skiff shall refer to sensitive compartmented information facility approved by a designated CISO for the storage, handling, and control of classified information. And then here, if the defense or the defendant have any questions regarding the disclosure of classified information, they'll sh they shall consult the CISO, confining all discussions, documents, and materials to an accredited SCIF or other local uh, location authorized by the CISO. And you go here. The CISO shall establish procedures to assure a SCIF is accessible during business hours to the defense and at other times upon reasonable request as approved by the CSO in consultation with this court and the United States Marshal Service. Shall be stored, maintained, and used only in the SCIF established by the CISO unless otherwise authorized by the CISO. The defense shall have free access to the classified information in the SCIF established by the CISO. So my point in bringing this up is that Cannon didn't say, no, Trump, you cannot use your Mar-a-Lago SCIF. She said, it's up to the CISO. So the defense shall discuss classified information only within the SCIF or in an area authorized by the CISO. So I saw a lot of media outlets and a lot of people on the left saying, ah, Trump loses again. He doesn't get to use his Mar-a-Lago SCIF. Or some were even saying he doesn't actually have a Mar-a-Lago SCIF. The way I read it is Cannon left it up to the CISO. She never mentions the Mar-a-Lago skiff anywhere in here. So Jack Smith wins because that's what Jack Smith wanted was it to be a place, it has to be a skiff authorized by the CISO and that's what she approved. So if the skiff at Mar-a-Lago gets authorized by the CISO, then guess what? Trump gets to use the skiff at Mar-a-Lago. That's where this stands as regards Trump's skiff. So here are the orders as far as how much classified information is actually in play here. The footnote indicates that there are about 3,500 pages and it's classified at various levels. As acknowledged by the special counsel, the classified information in this case described on September 12, 2023 as consisting of approximately 3,500 pages classified at various levels is discoverable information pursuant to Rule 16A1E. So now that this has been ruled, and this is the main takeaway, guys. This is the number one takeaway. Win, lose, or draw, the template is cut. How Trump is treated in this case can and will be applied to future cases. I think Cannon leaves some doors open here. She doesn't explicitly deny Trump the use of his Mar-a-Lago skiff, but instead leaves it up to the CISO while granting the CIPA, the CIPA. Now, Trump and team can get a look at what the information is and begin preparing to challenge its classification and also bring in the Presidential Records Act. So sure, the media can run with the headline, Trump shut down, 
Jack Smith won, whatever. Doesn't matter because this battle outlined how future battles will take or how future cases will take place and whether or not Obama gets to use his skiff at his house or Bush gets to use the skiff at his house. Right. That's what's really at issue here. Do these do these people get to take this information to their home or not? Now, if this if Trump wasn't a defendant in this case, but the defendant was instead Obama, we'd all be cheering for Obama to not be able to use the skiff at his house for whatever reason, right? So that's what's happened here is that Trump has cut the template out. The president precedent has been set. And what's most exciting is that now Trump's team gets to look at this information and they get to decide, okay, how are we going to, how are we going to challenge each one of these documents, challenge the the classification on each one of these documents? How's it going to look? How's it going to look if uh, Trump's team challenges the classification of a document that is right now classified, but before Trump left office, he had declassified it. I feel like that's going to happen. I feel like the narratives that we're seeing around here or that we've been seeing in the news, I feel like that's where this is headed is that the Biden administration reclassified some stuff that Trump had declassified in order to create the crime. And Trump and team are going to prove that. And they're going to show that Trump declassified these documents that now the Biden administration is saying is classified. And they created a crime in order to interfere in the election. It makes so much sense uh, that that's where this is headed. Good morning, Mermaid Miss K. See you agree. Thank you for uh, so a few people that signed up to be a supporter. Thank you very much. Von Hitch, good morning. Says, I need Kafefe. Yeah, I need some more. Really, when I'm when I'm done with this show, I need to go uh, mo. I need to go do yard work, but I think I'm going to watch Formula One instead. <laughs> I'm going to claim it's too hot outside. All right, before we get to Hunter being indicted, okay, we're an hour into the show. Um, before we get to Hunter being indicted, I want to grab this just real quick. Y'all know I love the Charles McGonigal case. I believe he's flipped the SDNY case. He got a plea agreement. I think he, I think he's totally flipped. Now he's got the DC case and they filed for an extension of time on that one because the parties want additional time to negotiate a potential, a potential resolution to this case. And the judge agreed. And, um, what is, let me grab his case real quick. Because the judge, I want to say the judge set a date of September 22nd. I think. Yeah. Status conference set for September 22nd at 5 p.m. End of day status conference. 
probably expecting it to be a short one. They're just going to announce, okay, the status is we've come to an agreement on a resolution for this case. And then the judge will schedule a plea hearing to take place soon. And I think they're going to, I think he's flipped guys. Like, I guess we're supposed to doom out on it or whatever. Um, but yeah, I think, I think McGonagall is, uh, complete is completely flipping and um <clears throat> we'll see who else gets indicted because of because of this don't know the status of sergey shestikov which was the interpreter um that he was working with in new york and was also an intermediary in these dealings with deripaska don't know the status of him of whether or not he is working on a deal but yeah f this guy I think the sentencing for the SDNY thing, I think it's in December, if I remember right. I think. All right, let's get to let's get to Hunter. Brogent, good to see you. Thanks for the rant. Yeah, I'm excited to see Cheesebro and Sydney on trial. It's it's going to be kind of weird because like their roles are totally different. Like they're totally different. What their, their charges are. It's, it's literally two different cases, but they're going to be tried at the same time. Brain strain again. Yep. It is, it is too hot, but not too hot for coffee. Okay. All right. So this, this is going to be fun. First thing that happened yesterday. We got foreshadowing. We knew that an indictment was coming. We knew that because there was a filing where uh, U.S. Attorney Weiss prosecutors told the judge that we have until September 29th to ask this grand jury for an indictment, and we plan to do so. So yesterday morning... Or actually, I guess it's afternoon, 12, 17 p.m. Ooh, nice, 17. That's another, okay, remember that, guys. 17. Remember that. Catherine Herridge, the pen, posted at 17 minutes past. And she wrote, with indictment looming, Hunter Biden probe worth revisiting court transcript, July 26th failed plea hearing. Judge Noreka. I have had one or two cases involving a person struggling with addiction who bought a gun. We usually see felony charges for false statement. The defendant, that'd be Hunter Biden, has admitted that his, his statement was false, but he wasn't charged. Noreka asked, does the government have any concern about not bringing the false statement charge in light of our discussion of 922 G3 plus the constitutionality of that charge? Mr. Wise, who is not Mr. Weiss, Mr. Wise said, no, your honor, 18 USC 922 G possession of firearm prohibited person, 18 USC 1001 is false statement. Those are the two charges we're dealing with. He said, no, we don't have any concern about this from the transcript. Oh, let me open it up in a new tab so we can zoom in. Catherine Harridge, it happens to be line 17 in the transcript. The defendant, that'd be Hunter Biden, has admitted 
that his statement was false, but he wasn't charged. Put a pin in that. Because shortly thereafter, at 1.29 p.m., or a little bit before, the Hunter Biden indictment drops. Okay? Now remember, Hunter Biden wasn't charged for false statements originally, and he wasn't charged for a felony. It, they, they knocked it down to a misdemeanor, and the judge is saying, I don't see this. Normally, it's a felony, and they charge for the false statement. But you guys didn't do that here, even though the defendant has already admitted that his statement was false. So we get a Hunter by an indictment, District of Delaware, and it says, Company 1, located in William De Wilmington, Delaware, possessed a federal firearms license and was authorized to deal in, in firearms under federal laws. FFL holders are licensed, among other things, to sell firearms and ammunition. Various rules and regulations apply. The rules and regulations governing FFL holders require that a person seeking to purchase a firearm fill out firearm transaction record and ATF form 4473. Question 11E of the form 4473 requires that the prospective purchaser certify truthfully that he or she is not an unlawful user of or addicted to any stimulant, narcotic drug, or any other controlled substance. In the certification section of the form, the actual buyer must certify that his or her answers to the questions on the form are true and correct and complete. The actual buyer must acknowledge by his or her signature that, quote, I understand that a person who answers yes to question 11E is prohibited from purchasing or receiving a firearm and making any false or oral written statement is a crime punishable as a felony under federal law and may also violate state and local law. FFL holders are required by law to maintain a record in the form of a completed form F form 4473. So here it's count one. On or about October 12, 2018, in Delaware, Robert Hunter Biden, in connection with the acquisition of a firearm, which is a Colt Cobra 38 Special Revolver with serial number, etc., etc., went to Company A, who was a licensed dealer, and knowingly made a false and fictitious written statement, intended and likely to deceive that dealer with respect to a fact material to the lawfulness of the sale of a firearm. So now he's been charged, count one, false statement. Count two, Robert Hunter Biden, October 12, 2018, knowingly made a false statement and representation to company one, a licensed firearms dealer, in that Robert Hunter Biden certified on form 4473 that he was not an unlawful user of or addicted to any stimulant, narcotic, drug, or controlled substance, when in fact he knew that was fictitious. So that's count two. Count three, on or about October 12, 2018, through on or about October 23rd, 2018. So 11 days, Hunter Biden, knowing, knowing that he was an unlawful user of and addicted to any stimulant, uh, narcotic drug, and any other controlled substance, knowingly possessed a firearm, which was a Colt Cobra 38 Special with revol revolver with serial number, blah, blah, blah. Three counts. So Hunter Biden has gone from 
one misdemeanor to three felonies. I think that's good news. I see a lot of I see a lot of accounts saying that this is a distraction. This doesn't matter at all. It's a cover up. It's weak. I think I saw several like people like Comer. I think maybe Comer saying something like, "I'll care about charges against Hunter when it involves FISA, you know, or FAR." I mean, and I understand that. Um, and I think those guys have to downplay this stuff. They can't say they can't cheer on Weiss too much, right? They can't, they can't appear to be, um, there has to be narrative shielding and it has to seem, they have to reinforce that Weiss was chosen by, or recommended by two Democrats. He is a registered Democrat. They have to keep reiterating that so that, um, there's some separation that's just better optics. If they, if they, if it, you know, the media is always pointing out that, President Trump appointed Weiss. And it's true. Um, but there has to, there has to be there, there has to be some shielding there, right? You guys get that. Um, so Hunter Biden, Catherine Herridge knew this was coming, didn't she? When you look at this, back on June 20th of this, of this year, he was hit with just one count of unlawful possession. The false statement charges were not brought. Now we know why CBS Heritage highlighted those lines from the plea hearing today. And since Hunter has already admitted to two of these felonies, he's already admitted to them. I mean, they have him. They absolutely have him. I want to go now to these true social posts. We're just going to squirrel a little bit, have a little fun. Trump's first post says, Prosecutor Weiss is appointed by the two Democrat senators of Delaware under blue slip, meaning that they recommended him to the president for appointment. His next post is this, the gun charge, is the only crime that Hunter Biden committed that does not implicate crooked Joe Biden. One down, 11 to go. One down, 11 to go. The Democrats, with all of their horrible, very unfair, and mostly illegal witch hunts, whoa, 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 whoa. Mostly illegal witch hunts. Have started a process that is very dangerous for our country. They have opened the proverbial Pandora's box. And it is possible that the USA will never be the same again. So sad. Talk about comms <laughs> like there is so much to impact from uh, unpack from this let's first go back to this one right here first thing he says about the prosecutors he did it at 2 24 p.m so i decided to squirrel a bit 
and I went to look at, is it 224, right? 224. So what is drop 224? Well, 224 says who knows where the bodies are buried and is talking about Eric Prince and the map is in front of you. Reread, expand your thinking. Okay, okay. Well, what about in military time? That would be 1424. Well, I dare say that that's a hit. I dare say that's a hit, guys, because 1424 is follow the pin Think timing, coincidence, the attacks will only get worse. They are all they are losing all control. Follow the pen. That's a reference to our girl Catherine Herridge. And what did Catherine Herridge do? She highlighted the transcript where Hunter admitted to the false statements and that the judge was pointing out. Why weren't these charges brought? He already admitted to these, and these should be brought as felonies, not a misdemeanor. And then what happens just moments later? Indictment drops. He's hit with the same false. He's hit with false statements and felonies. That's a hit. The rest of this is it's highlighting a tweet from Trump, and it says, "I hereby demand and will do so officially tomorrow that the Department of Justice look into whether or not the FBI, DOJ infiltrated or surveilled the Trump campaign for political purposes, and if any such demands or requests were made by people within the Obama administration." And the name of that image is Pain. So, I think. Trump doing this at this time is a hat tip to Catherine Herridge for her foreshadowing what was coming. She, she knew she definitely knew that's why she chose those lines. And to me, like, you know, what's the takeaway from that? Why do that? I just think it shows that we should still pay attention to Catherine Herridge and that these things are planned out. And Catherine Herridge is in the know and when she brings out her pen and her highlighter, pay attention. Um, I agree with Von Hitch. Yeah, I think Trump is telling us he knows where this is going. He throws up some narrative shielding right here for Prosecutor Wise. He's throwing up narrative shielding again. You follow the timestamp. You get to a drop about Catherine Herridge and timing and coincidence. And that they are losing all control. I love that drop. I love this. This drop is great. It has all the things about the drops that I love just about. All right. Now, this other one from Trump. This was dropped at 2.42 p.m. So 2.42 says, be here tomorrow. The story unfolds. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Maybe this, you know, so a story could break today or could be breaking right now. Um, that makes this make sense and that's what he's pointing to but if we stick with military time it says thank you for guarding POTUS Eric meaning Eric Prince and Q says not POTUS I think Eric Prince was guarding General Flynn it's how I read the drops that, that connect on that because of this one right here from 224 it says who knows where the bodies are buried that's Flynn and the, the one it's quote tweeting is about Eric Prince. So I'm thinking that what they're saying is that Eric Prince 
is protecting Flynn, the security for Flynn. I don't know. But I feel like the timestamp on that one doesn't really hit. Tron and on and crew, Stormy, Absolute, they may find something I, I'm, I'm not thinking of right now. In fact, I'm pretty sure they will because they're way better at, at this than me. But first thing about this, this truth from Trump, one down, 11 to go. So I quote truth this and put a period for a marker on it. And I, I never do that. But I did it because of the one down 11 to go comment because Trump is basically calling his shot, right? Trump is taking his bat and he's pointing out to right of center field. And he's saying that's where it's going. He's saying this is one indictment against Hunter Biden of 11 is how I read that. Or one count or one indictment against the Bidens. And there's 11 to go. I mean, like, that's the only way I know to read it, right? Um, so I feel like we should all remember this and see if Trump is proven right, because wow, would that be absolutely fire. If by the end of all of this, there are a dozen indictments. Or, or is, is he just talking about indictments in general? Like, is he is this like a new wave of indictments coming that there's going to add that are going to add up to a dozen? I don't know. But it's very interesting. I want to search the drops. Let's have a little bit of fun with searching. Um, I see D Dan nine eight six said search words only in that post. Yeah. I want to search a couple words. I just want to search 11. We'll see what we come up with. It's Friday. We can scroll a bit. That one talks about the 11th Amendment. That's the only time 11 is mentioned in the drops, like spelled out. Let's see. Jury of peers. The immunity of a state from suit has long been held not to... There was no executive immunity from suit. The court held whether the immunity of state officials is qualified and varies according to the scope of discretion and responsibilities of the particular office. Okay. Well, we do have, we do have some stuff going on in the news as far as these cases as regards immunity and protections. This, this The tweet within it is, these governors are withholding information from the public and house Dems are letting them get away with it with their partisan refusal to join our investigation from Steve Scalise. What the world? How am I not following Steve Scalise? That's weird. Okay. Republicans are demanding answers from dim governors about their disastrous nursing home orders. And it mentions state AGs. Well, we got some state AGs in the news. Okay. Hello, woke societies. Okay, let's search something else. Now we got witch hunts. Now I love that he said mostly illegal witch hunts. Because if you watch this show, you know that I think that when Trump mentions witch hunts, he's talking about that witch. He's talking about Hillary Clinton. 
and he usually talks to it about it's himself that you know it's a witch hunt about him because he's innocent and they're going on a witch hunt against him you know but i think he means literally it's a witch hunt against her but i find it interesting he said mostly illegal witch hunts which means some of them are not illegal right those are the ones we really care about all right very unfair and mostly illegal witch hunts that's the first time I've seen him say, I think that's the first time I've ever seen him say mostly illegal witch hunts. All right. Have started a process that is very dangerous for our country. They have opened the proverbial Pandora's box. Well, you know, we have to search this. I'm just going to search Pandora just in case it's spelled without an apostrophe or whatever, because it'll still pull it up. Let's search Pandora. Only two drops. October 22nd, 2020. October 18th, 2020. Stormy Joe has kind of taught me to pay attention to the time in the drop and see if that matches anything here, but I don't see that it does. There's all sorts of stuff that you can do, but key domestic contacts for phase one target projects, Harris, California, Senate Majority Lady Schumer, Leader Schumer, Feinstein, Gillibrand, Cuomo, de Blasio, McAuliffe. Oh man, I hate that guy. God, thank, uh, thank God. Thank God he is not the governor here in Virginia right now. Oh, I'm so glad we have Youngkin. So glad we have Youngkin. Even though I disagree with him on some things. I am so glad we have Youngkin right now, especially with COVID-24. All right. Pandora's political elite box. Von Hitch just posted 12, 12, 12. I'll go check drop 12. Hold on. Hold on. All right. So this one subpoena. Okay. Guys, guys, guys. What are the odds? What are the odds that Trump makes a post about Hunter Biden being charged and says they have opened the proverbial Pandora's box? And when you search Pandora's box in the drops, you get a hit on a post about what? Hunter Biden and his financial records. And it says, death blow, Pandora's political elite box. Like, that's three, almost three years later. You can't, I mean, I'm not trying to make the case that the drops are real or not. We know they're real and they're meaningful, but this is a, that's a hit all day long. And that's definitely why he said it. That's definitely why he mentioned opening Pandora's box. And then when I think back to the 11 to go, one down, 11 to go, subpoena of all H. Biden's financial records. And at least this New York Post story, which what, what, what would Hunter Biden's financial records tie into? It would tie into the rest of the Bidens. And what have the House investigators been after his financial records? What is there's, you know, what are they all pointing out that they want a charge to be brought against Hunter? What kind of charge? They want FARA charges. Those FARA charges are going to open up his uh, the financial records and how James Biden and Joe Biden benefited from Hunter's activities. The Joe Biden was the brand that they were selling. 
And you go to that link and you look at the Kazakhstan stuff. This is from John Levine. Hunter Biden is facing fresh questions over business dealings in yet another nation. That'd be Kazakhstan. This is from October 17th. Imagine that, the 17th. Can't believe it. Between 2012 and 2014, when his father, Joe Biden, served as vice president, Hunter Biden worked as a go-between for Kness Rakashev, a Kazakh oligarch with close ties to the country's longtime kleptocratic leader, Nursultan Nazarbayev. Now, what this makes me think of is one of my favorite patriots who doesn't get near the acknowledgement that he deserves. And that would be Felix Sater. Felix Sater has some connections to this world too. And it's another reason why I think Felix Sater is the guy who flipped Hunter Biden. But that's just a pet theory of mine. So this guy is Rakashev who Hunter, there's a, there's a picture. Is that picture in this article? I don't see it, but there's a picture of Hunter Biden and, and him together. Um, Rakashev was head of Kaz Transgas and Intergas Central Asia and an advisor to the Kazakhstan Interior Ministry and Department of Education, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. BTA Bank, that is where Felix Sater comes in. And let's see. Let me hop on over to FelixSaterResearch.com a website run by um, a great user. I want to say, I want to say it's Hunter's mama. She, I think she changed her uh, Twitter handle. That's it. Julie Lewis. Great follow on Twitter. Julie Lewis is doing an amazing job tracking developments with Felix Sater and basically bi doing a biography of him. She's like the one person out there trying to um, record and, and note the work of Felix Sater and what a patriot he is. And here's her work on BTA, which connects to Rakashev, which connects to Hunter Biden. And she writes, has taken some time to reach the point of actually documenting research here in regards to BTA bank. This site became active in spring of 2020. Only now into June, 2021 has enough information been obtained to cover this sordid tale in great detail. There's even more now. I don't know how much she's updated it since then. But there's Rakashev, maybe Tamur's public guy representing his interests, successful businessman considered to be one of the richest people in Kazakhstan. Felix Sater started advising Symbol Construction and Rikso, Rik, Riksos doing construction projects in Kazakhstan. After also 2005 was the first year Sater began advising the chairman of Rixos and Symbol Construction, Feta Tamenchi or whatever, who are working on various projects in Kazakhstan. This is where the story ends up rolling to Kropanov and Victor and Lila and therefore Ableyazov. His name comes up a lot. Sater met the Kropanovs and attended a wedding in 2007. And let me search for where Hunter comes into this. By 2010, Hunter Biden, Devin Archer, and Chris Hines had formed a company called Rosemont Seneca Partners. This may seem irrelevant to this story, but rest assured, it is not. It is in April of this year, Hunter makes his first trip to Beijing, according to Secret Service travel records. 
and they have her, she has a report cited here and linked, which is awesome. She does great research and she includes links, which I really appreciate. Keep in mind, within this report, it is disclosed that Kenneth Rakashev did send Hunter Biden's partner, Devin Archer's company, money on April 22nd, 2014. When only two months earlier, Rakashev had become a major shareholder of BTA Bank. So there is context here. There's more details in the 2014 section. But what is in this drop? Subpoena of all of Hunter Biden's financial records equals death blow. Pandora's little political elite box. And when you look, you got this story about Hunter Biden and business dealings in Kazakhstan. Mentions Kazakh Rakashev. You go and look at the BTA bank scandal and you realize, or you have it right here from this report, which is from the House Select Committee. What is this? House, which committee? Homeland Affairs and Government Affairs, Hunter Biden, Brisbane, Corruption, Impact on U.S. Government Policy and Related Concerns. And it shows that Rakashev was sending money to Hunter Biden's partner, Devin Archer, which I'm sure found its way to Hunter. Joe and Hunter Biden private dinner photo with the Kazakhs, April 16th, 2015, private dinner held at Cafe Milano. That Cafe Milano dinner came up just the other day. Kevin McCarthy was talking about it. So is Comer. There's Cafe Milano. Hunter Biden arranged for the dinner meeting to be held there. And let's see. Joe Biden met with Ukrainian, Russian, and Kazakhstani business associates of his sons at a dinner in Wilmington, D.C., Washington, D.C., sorry, while he was vice president. Records on Hunter Biden's abandoned laptop show. The dinner on April 16, 2015, was held in private garden room at Cafe Milano, a Georgetown institution whose catchphrase is, where the world's most powerful people go. The next day, Hunter received an email from Vadim Pozarsky, an executive of the Ukrainian energy company Burisma, to thank him for introducing him to his father. The guest list prepared by Hunter three weeks before the Cafe Milano dinner included Russian billionaire Yelena Barorina, who I think sent $5 million, or was it $3.5 million to the Bidens, and her husband, corrupt former Moscow mayor Yuri Luskov, who since has died. Baterina wired 3.5. Yep, 3.5 million on February 14th, 2014 to Rosemont Seneca Thornton LLC. The wires were flagged in suspicious activity reports provided by the Treasury to Senate Republicans. Hunter told guests before the dinner that his father would be attending. I want to see where is, who is the Kazakhstan? I want to see the, the picture. Three officials from Kazakhstan were also invited to the Cafe Milano dinner, including Mark Holtzman, then chairman of the former Soviet Republic's largest bank, Kazkomerts Bank. A Mexican ambassador and representative of World Food Program USA also were on the guest list, which Hunter emailed to Archer three weeks prior. Three seats for Kazakhstan friends, two seats for Yelena, two seats... For you and me, three seats for World Food Program people, then Vadim and three ambassadors, total of 14 people. So anyway, I'm squirreling here a bit, but I just wanted to show you guys how this all keeps tying together. Kazakh anti-corruption site. Let's see. We hunted the Kazakhstan players as well as Ukraine. For the first time ever, a pic this is the picture I was wanting to see. There you go. 
there's Rakashev, Hunter, Joe, and then Karim Mazamov. Trump is absolutely 100% pointing us to this drop, perhaps this one too, because this one also mentions the Bidens. Check it out. <laughs> Harris, prominent Democrats listed as key contacts for Biden family business venture projects. Exclusive, a list of key domestic contacts for a joint venture involving Jim and Hunter Biden and now bankrupt CEFC China Energy Company included former Vice President Joe Biden's current running mate, Senator Kamala Harris. An email exclusively obtained by Fox News with the subject line phase one, phase one domestic contacts projects and dated May 15th, 2017, Biden's brother, Jim Biden, shared a list of key domestic contacts for phase one target projects. The email is unrelated to the laptop or hard drive purportedly belonging to Hunter Biden. The list included Harris, Schumer, Klobuchar, Feinstein, Gillibrand, Cuomo, de Blasio, and McAuliffe, among others. It is unclear if any of the Democrats were ever contacted about the target projects. The email was sent from Jim to Hunter Biden, Tony Bobulinski, Rob Walker, and James Gilliar. Bobulinski was an institutional investor who was, create, who was recruited by the Biden family to run their joint venture with now bankrupt CEFC China Energy Company. Bobulinski said, I was brought into the company to be the CEO by James, James Gilliar and Hunter Biden. The reference to the big guy in the much publicized May 13th, 2017 email is in fact a reference to Joe Biden. The other JB referenced in that email is Jim Biden, Joe's brother. So look at how it all ties together, and there's no freaking way that Trump was not trying to point to this right here. These two drops, 4888 and 4935, they're the only two drops that mention Pandora, and they both mention the Biden crime family. They're about the Biden crime family. So, again, back to one down, 11 to go. Good morning, Karma Patriot. Lovely to see you here. And good morning, Maggie and TVT and Hope Dealer, Dylan. Good morning, everyone. Glad y'all here. Brian Murphy. Now, Von Hitch was talking about um, 12. Were you, it says, okay, Von Hitch said search 12, but also more important, 12 is spelled out. The whole post is interesting. Okay. Okay. I ran my route that I wanted to run. Thank you for bearing with me. Let's see this. Was Trump pointing to September 12th? Well, I'll be damn. I'll be damn. Whoa. Okay. So if he is pointing to 12th, that's just the, like a couple days ago. So 12, how do you demonstrate reasonable cause to regulate and or break up big tech? What is the common theme tactic of the left to find fascism? Forcible suppression to find narrative. We do that every Sunday, 9 p.m. on Defected. 
a way of representing or understanding a situation or a series of events that reflects and promotes a particular point of view or set of values, define projection, psychological projection, define narcissist, define dogma, define aggression, suppression. The action of suppressing something such as an activity or publication. Bonus round. Narcissists are renowned for using psychological projection to blame other people, even when it is entirely apparent that they are the ones in the wrong. Define realism. Actions of Antifa. Actions of fake news. Also way. Massive fake news attention for a conspiracy Reddit board being banned. Why are we being targeted by some of the largest media organizations on the planet? Panic in DC. Statement start a fire. 12 moves ahead. Suicide watch. Huh. All right, Vaughn. I see what you're getting at. Panic and D statements start a fire 12 moves ahead. So worth considering that perhaps Trump mentioning one down 11 to go could also be pointing to this drop that, that mentions 12. It's the only drop that mentions 12. Interesting. Okay. Noted. Noted. That's a good one. There's a lot to unpack in this one, but hmm. Yeah, you got me thinking with that one. I'm wondering how many people were listed here on this because Trump said one down, eleven to go. So, um, this list, this email. Here's the email. Okay. How many people are listed here? One, two, three, four. I'm I may have needed more coffee. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. All right, now there's way more than 12. Okay. Okay, there's way more than 12 listed. If it was exactly 12 names, I was going to be like, whoa. <laughs> but it's more than 12. Um, hmm. Let's see let's see how many there actually are. 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 11 
12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Looks like 18 names to me. Yeah. Looks like 18 names. Yeah, bottom line is this this truth from Trump is full of comms. And it gets me they're like the best comms. They get me excited. We'll see where we are. We should remember this one. We we should remember this truth, I think. Because if it turns out that uh if it, if it turns out that Trump just called his shot that he just predicted um 12 indictments related to the Biden crime family, then talk about patriots in control. I think we all, I think we all have kind of like varied perception of what patrons in control means. Like some people talk, think it's way, way, way more literal control. I'm kind of more in the camp of it's some control mixed with influence and, uh, uh, ghost in the machine kind of thing like like I think it's manipulating the game board I think they have perfect intelligence more or less and that's how they're able to manipulate the game board and, and they, that that's a form of control but it's less direct than what others think some people think they have no control at all and they're those people are dooming out <laughs> they're dooming out uh, bad but uh yeah, I love this Trump truth. I'm definitely going to be watching Eye of the Storm to see what those guys get out of this and then also watching Tron and On this Sunday morning to see what they get out of it. So, all right, let me close all these. Hope that was fun for you guys. And hey, you guys may find some stuff, more stuff than what I did. If you want to, whenever I post on Twitter or on True Social, uh, when I post the replay of this show, if you guys find some stuff and you just want to like comment it on the replay post for this show, please do so so that everybody can see what other connections um, can be drawn from this. Um, what time is it? Okay, I got a little bit. I got some more time. Do y'all remember on Wednesday I said, oh wait, I needed to close all these. Why didn't they close? There they go. You guys remember on Wednesday, I said that Shapley and uh, Ziegler had had uh, let the House Republicans know that they had more information um, and more documents they were, they wanted to turn over, and but they needed to go through the House Ways and Means Committee and whatnot. And I wondered aloud, when are we going to see some more of that stuff? And boom, it happened that that same day. Uh, these notes came out after testimony by senior FBI agent assigned to Hunter Biden investigation cast doubt on IRS whistleblower Shapley's allegations that the U.S. attorney leading the probe, David Weiss, said he lacked the authority to bring charges in the case. CBS News obtained, again, this is Herridge, CBS News obtained what Shapley said were his contemporaneous handwritten notes from an October 2022 meeting. The handwritten notes state, Weiss stated he is not the deciding person. Terrible handwriting, but that I'm pretty sure that's what it says. Shapley also said that in that meeting, 
Weiss stated that he had been denied special counsel status. In June, Attorney General Merrick Garland had said that Weiss would be able, quote, to make a decision to prosecute any way in which he wanted to and and in any district in which he wanted to. In letters to Congress, Weiss insisted he had the ultimate authority. In August, Garland said Weiss had informed him that his investigation had reached a stage where he believed his work should continue as special counsel. He then asked for the designation. Garland said he concluded it was in the public interest to appoint Weiss special counsel, giving him expanded powers to continue the probe in light of the extraordinary circumstances. The transcript of GOP-led House Judiciary Committee's deposition on September 7th with the FBI special agent, first reported by the Washington Post, independently reviewed by CBS News, shows that Thomas J. Sobochinsky told the committee that he did not remember why saying that he didn't have the ability to decide on prosecuting Hunter Biden or where any charges against him could be filed. During the interview, according to the transcript, FBI Special Agent Thomas Sobochinsky was asked about Shapley's allegations and he was shown the IRS supervisor's contemporaneous notes. The general counsel for the majority said, so you do not remember the U.S. attorney stating that he is not the deciding person on whether charges are filed. And so Wachinski said, yeah, I do not. So Wachinski had a similar response to allegations from Shapley that Weiss had said during the October 2022 meeting that he was previously denied special counsel status. Question. But it, Shapley's notes, say, quote, USA Weiss requested special counsel authority when it was sent to D.C., and Maine DOJ denied his request and told him to follow the process. Do you see where it says that? And so Bochinsky said, I do. Question, do you have any recollection of Mr. Weiss saying that? So Bochinsky said, I don't have a recollection with him saying that, saying that there or at any point in my communication with Mr. Weiss. In a separate line of questioning about the claim, so Bochinsky said, I do not remember. I don't. He didn't say that. In my recollection, if he would have said that, I would have remembered it. The Justice Department and a spokesperson for Weiss had previously denied the IRS whistleblower allegations, which included the Hunter Biden received preferential treatment as Joe Biden's son during the five-year probe, and that investigators were prevented from pursuing evidence that might lead or might have led to President Biden. The FBI and the Justice Department declined to comment, of course. On Wednesday, Shapley's lawyers wrote to the House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan and Ranking Member Nadler, quote, We are today providing those committees an unredacted version of SSA Shapley's contemporaneous handwritten notes in order for you to assess the truthfulness and reliability of Mr. Sobochinsky's testimony. In his, de- in his deposition in May, Shapley included internal IRS communications to back up his claim. Exhibit 10 is an email exchange between IRS staff members Daryl J. Walden, Michael T. Batdorf, and Shapley on October 11, 2022, in which Shapley asked the two if his summary of the October 7, 2022 meeting, including allegations that Weiss said he didn't have the authority to charge Hunter Biden, was accurate. Walden responded, quote, you covered it all. The IRS did not immediately respond to CBS's request for comment. In Wednesday's letter to Jordan and Nadler, Shapley's lawyers say Sobochinsky took notes of the October 22nd, 20, I can't say it, October 2022 meeting, 
while their client, in addition to the handwritten notes, wrote an email to his IRS supervisor to document the discussion. Weldon also recently set for a transcribed interview. Those transcripts could be released as early as, ne- as this week. Nadler's office has not responded to a request for comment. The FBI also declined for comment. Garland is scheduled to testify before the House Judiciary Committee on September 20th. And I need to, right now, before I forget, send that to Badlands people because we may want to cover that live. All right, there we go. I think we should cover that one live. All right. Um, I haven't quite figured out this discrepancy between the IRS whistleblowers, the letters that are from U.S. Attorney Weiss to Congress, the letters from Garland, the testimony from Garland. Somebody's not telling the truth somewhere. The IRS whistleblowers, Shapley and Ziegler, have been the most consistent. They haven't changed their story. But I I do like the hypothesis that I think it was, I think I said uh, the other day, I said it was Molly Hemingway. But I actually think it may have been Margot Cleveland, who in the Federalist, that Federalist article said that it looks possible that Weiss didn't actually write the letter. Um, instead, it looks like um, it looks like the Office of Legal Counsel for DOJ wrote the letter and signed, and Weiss signed it, and that's a change in they 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 changed their description of how this thing went down. Whether or not Weiss asked for special counsel status or not. Let me see that. Does it have a link to that letter? Here we go. There's that one. Did it have the other link in here? It's from October, August 21st. House panel subpoenas senior IRS officials over Hunter Biden tax case. I know that I'm just supposed to assume that Garland is a liar and a swamp creature and Weiss is a liar and a swamp creature and they're all crooked and we hate them and grr, blah, 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 blah. But I'm not going to do that. Um, instead, I want to follow the trail and come to my own conclusion. So here, yeah, it was Margot Cleveland. Emails attained by Heritage Foundation following a Freedom of Information Act Act request. Da, da, da. Lawsuit shared exclusively with the Federalists established that on multiple occasions, the Department of Justice intervened on behalf of Delaware U.S. Attorney David Wise to respond to congressional inquiries related to the Hunter Biden investigation. Okay. Boom. Mark that. DOJ intervening and trying to respond to House investigators on behalf of David Weiss. 
This revelation raises more questions about the June 7th, 2023 <laughs> uh, June 7th, 2023 lettered. I swear I'm not drunk, but man, when I try to say 20 anything, I feel like I'm I'm my mouth is drunk or something. <laughs> like I can't do it. Dispatched to House Judiciary Chair Jim Jordan under Weiss's signature line in which the Delaware U.S. attorney claimed that he had, quote, ultimate authority over charging decisions related to Hunter Biden. It also suggests Weiss and the DOJ may have conspired to mislead Congress. I swear there is no Kahlua in my coffee. There's just been, maybe it's Benson's honey. All right. So this letter from May 9th, 2022, uh, this says, Dear Mr. Weiss, this is the letter from Grassley and Johnson asking him questions about his probe. And then this is to Jordan on June 7th. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Where'd it, where'd it go? Okay, I'm going to switch to this. Because that one doesn't want to load. Let's go to the PDF. All right. There we go. Hey. All right. Let me go back to this for a moment. All right. Grassley and Johnson sent a letter on May 9th seeking information about the Hunter Biden investigation and Weiss. Weiss posed that question to one of his lead U.S. attorneys, Shannon Hansen. Not to my knowledge, Hansen replied, followed soon after with a second email noting that Joe Gata the then Deputy Assistant Attorney General in the Office of Legislative Affairs was working on a response. And although Grassley and Johnson had addressed their May 9th, 2022 inquiry solely to Weiss, the DOJ's Office of Legislative Affairs interceded on his behalf, responding in a letter dated June 9th that the DOJ would not respond to the questions posed. U.S. Department of Justice, United States Attorney's Office, District of Delaware. This is June 7th, 2023. Who is it signed by? Signed by Weiss. Okay. The following month, Grassley and Johnson dispatched another letter requesting information related to the Hunter Biden investigation, addressing this letter to Weiss, as well as to Merrick Garland and Christopher Wray. Again, the Office of Legal Counsel intervened, telling Weiss's office in an email reviewed by the Federalist that it would take the lead on drafting a response to Grassley and Johnson. These never-before-seen emails establish the Department of Justice and U.S. Attorney collaborated in responding to congressional inquiries and were among the first batch of documents provided to the Heritage Foundation following a court battle or court order last week in Heritage's FOIA case. The court order required the DOJ to produce by August 25th, 2023, all records collected from Weiss and Assistant U.S. Attorney Leslie Wolf that were responsive to the Heritage FOIA lawsuit. Mike Howell, director of the Heritage Foundation Oversight Project, initiated the FOIA request and then filed suit against the DOJ after the Biden administration attempted to slow walk it. Garland was simultaneously Howell, wait, here we go. Howell told the Federalist, the emails show 
that while Garland was claiming Weiss had the independence to bring whatever charges he wanted, Garland was simultaneously running communications from Weiss to Grassley through the political controls of Maine Justice. Significantly, the emails also call into question the veracity of a series of exchanges between Weiss and Jordan, beginning with Weiss's June 7th response to the May 25th letter. That's the one I am keep going back to over here. The letter Jordan sent to Garland. In that May 25th letter, Jordan questioned Garland on the removal of IRS whistleblowers from the Hunter Biden investigation. Even though the House committee addressed that letter solely to Attorney Garland, Weiss responded to the inquiry in the June 7th letter, which opened your May 25th letter to Attorney General Garland was forwarded to me with a request that I respond on behalf of the department. Weiss then claimed that, as Garland stated, the Delaware U.S. Attorney had, quote, been granted ultimate authority over the matter, including responsibility for deciding when, where, or where, when, and whether to file charges for making decisions necessary to preserve the integrity of the prosecution. Two more letters would soon follow, the first being to Weiss from Jordan on June 22nd. In that letter, Jordan reiterated the Judiciary Committee's need for substantive responses, before asking Weiss for more details in light of the unusual nature of your response on behalf of Attorney General Garland. Specifically, Jordan asked for information concerning the names of individuals who drafted or assisted in drafting the June 7th letter. That tells you right there that Jordan sniffed it out. Jordan noticed that, hey, wait a minute. I'm, I sent a letter to Garland, and now you're stepping up to respond on his behalf. That's highly unusual. Jordan picked up on what was going on. Weiss responded in a June 30th letter that he was not at liberty to provide substantive responses to the questions concerning an ongoing investigation. The Delaware U.S. Attorney then sidestepped questions about DOJ's role in drafting the June 7th letter, stating only that he, quote, would like to reaffirm the contents of the June 7th letter drafted by my office. A statement represented that the Delaware office had composed the letter. Weiss then proceeded to expand on what he meant when he said in his June 7th letter that he had ultimate charging authority. All right, before I read that part, I want to read what he said in the June 7th letter. He wrote, I want to make clear that as the Attorney General has stated, I have been granted ultimate authority over this matter including responsibility for deciding where, when, and whether to file charges and for making decisions necessary to preserve the integrity of the prosecution. Consistent with federal law, the principles of federal prosecution and department, departmental regulations. As the U.S., this is where he expanded on it in the follow-up letter. As the U.S. Attorney for the District of Delaware, my charging authority is geographically limited to my home district. If venue for a case lies elsewhere, common departmental practice is to contact the United States Attorney's Office for the district in question and determine whether it wants to partner on the case. If not, I may request special attorney status from the Attorney General pursuant to 28 U.S.C. 515. Here, I have been assured that, if necessary, after the above process, I would be granted 515 authority in the District of Columbia 
the Central District of California, or any other district where charges could be brought in this matter. Of course, having ultimate authority and being assured that you would be given ultimate authority if need be are two different things. But the scandal goes beyond Weiss not having the authority to charge Hunter Biden to what clearly seems to be an attempt by the DOJ and Weiss to mislead Congress. It's important to remember that when Weiss sent the June 7th letter to Jordan, the whistleblower's transcripts had not yet been released. Thus, neither Weiss nor the DOJ knew the specifics of the whistleblower's testimony, leading them to represent to Congress that Weiss had ultimate decision-making authority, something Weiss would later have to massage. Weiss's questionable statements didn't end there, however. In the June 30th letter, Weiss represented to Congress that he had drafted the June 7th letter. But why would Weiss draft the June 7th letter? That letter was not even addressed to Weiss. And the emails obtained by the Heritage Foundation establish that even when congressional oversight letters were addressed directly to Delaware U.S. Attorney Weiss, he didn't answer them. Instead, the DOJ's Office of Legislative Affairs intervened and spoke on his behalf. There is a second reason to suspect Weiss did not draft the June 7th letter. The footnote reference in the correspondence to the Linder letter. Tristan Levitt, a former Capitol Hill staffer and the president of Empower Oversight, which is helping represent IRS whistleblower Shapley, told the Federalists that when he worked on Capitol Hill, particularly on the Senate Judiciary Committee, which did regular oversight of Justice Department, that the Department's Office of Legislative Affairs frequently referenced the otherwise obscure Linder letter in response to congressional oversight. Quote, It's hard to imagine the letter was widely known outside of Justice Department headquarters, Levitt continued, especially in U.S. Attorney's offices, which almost never respond directly to congressional correspondence. Conversely, I'll hold up just a moment. There we go. Conversely, it is easy to imagine Maine Justice drafting the June 7th letter on behalf of Weiss to provide Garland cover and to seemingly corroborate the Attorney General's Senate testimony that he had given Weiss full authority to make charging decisions in the Hunter Biden investigation. That that cover may soon be blown away, however, thanks to the Heritage Foundation. The only reason these documents are starting to trickle out is because we sued for transparency. All right, so I hope you guys followed that. It's 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 kind of convoluted, but I think Margot Cleveland, who's an excellent excellent journalist and researcher, um, I love her stuff and. I think she's I think she's hit on it guys like I really the discrepancies between what the IRS whistleblowers are saying what Garland said and what Weiss said in the letter I I think this fits that it's the office of legal counsel and the office of legislative affairs that have have intervened in this and they've they they're the ones responsible for the discrepancy between all these parties. And I don't think Garland is lying and I don't think Weiss is lying. I think it's a matter of 
understanding the language and the context in which they're they're offering it and then picking apart where it's actually them saying it and where it's this office of legal affairs and legislative affairs who's trying to run interference between U.S. Attorney Weiss, Weiss's office and congressional investigators. Ultimately, ultimately, it doesn't actually bother me because what happened? Weiss got the authority he wanted. I mean, there's no... They they say, like, they're saying that, that Weiss, the whistleblowers say that Weiss asked to be made special counsel and was refused, but Weiss says he was he never asked for it, and then we know that Weiss did ask for it this summer and got it. So he did get what he asked for, and he is bringing charges in other districts, or at least it looks like he will. Um, he, they, he's told the judge he's planning to, now that the plea deal fall apart, which he also made happen. Um, for all the hand-wringing about the plea, the sweetheart plea deal that Weiss and them drew up for Hunter Biden. It was Weiss's prosecutors in the courtroom that day that blew it up. It was them who said, no, this doesn't cover as much as what Hunter Biden's attorneys are saying it covers. And then Hunter Biden's attorneys were like, well, then we don't want it. And they were like, okay, you're still under investigation for Farah. That sweetheart plea deal was always supposed to blow up. It was always going to blow up. And I don't know, this this battle over these letters between Jordan and Grassley and Johnson and Garland and Weiss and all of this, the, the inconsistencies definitely lie within DOJ. And I think it's that that office intervening and I don't, it, wouldn't it be interesting if it, if we learn that actually Weiss didn't sign that letter? I don't know. Regardless, special counsel Weiss just brought another indictment against Hunter Biden. And that's something to be happy about. Ah, there we go. There's my mouse. All right. I removed someone who was posting like videos, like a link to YouTube over and over again. But if I shouldn't have done that, y'all let me know. I see someone else who's posted. I'm just going to like remove. If you like, if you just post like links to other stuff over and over again without any commentary in my chat, I'm just going to, I'm just going to remove you. So, all right. Goat 77. Thank you very much for the rumble rant. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, that, I felt like that was a pretty good squirrel. I thought it was fun. I thought it was fun. Um, I see. I see. Uh, I see Wild Boar over here complaining. That's all Wild Boar does is complain. So y'all really don't even need to pay attention to him because he just complains all the time. Um, he doesn't like the dead air in my show because he needs a he needs to constantly be entertained with something that he can uh, he can be negative about. It's a sad existence. We should all pray for Wild Boar. Honestly, we should just all all this all together pray for him. Um, he's a sad fella. Texan by birth. Thank you for the rumble rant. Really appreciate it. Also, indivisible values was great meeting you at Gart. Enjoyed our conversations. 
And he wrote, hard to control deep state destruction disinfo as they panic at the local level. That's where we come in. Support local patriots in person. I agree. Absolutely, I agree. Yeah. Good morning, Jason. Wild Boar, don't be sad. Don't be sad, Wild Boar. That dead air was just for you, Wild Boar. I was praying during that dead air. It was just for you. I hope you enjoyed it. All right, that's my show for today. If you guys need some honey, if you want to support the show, by the way, you want to support the show, justhuman.substack.com. That is where you also get the podcast version of the show for those of you who like to listen. I know that sometimes you can listen on Rumble if you like to minimize it and stuff. Uh, but I like, I like Substack's podcast app works pretty well. This, I post the Substack, um, or I, sorry, I post the, um, podcast. I'm trying, I'm trying to bring up my closing music and type it out to bring it up at the same time I'm speaking and, uh, my brain is not working. All right. Yeah. If you want a podcast version, that's where I do it at. And I usually post it about an hour after the show ends is usually when it's available. Um, so that's where you can get that. Also, BensonHoneyFarms.com. If you go there, use rep code JustHuman. If you get $50 worth of product from them, uh, you'll get a free bag of candy. Um, and then Red White Bourbon 45, that's where you can get my merch. All of those links are in the description. They're also at my link tree, where you can find links to all of my social media, all the platforms that I'm on and whatnot. So um, I haven't said anything to people on, on over on uh, Pilled this morning. Good morning to y'all. Thank you, Filter Dog, for the shades. I appreciate it very much. Catgirl88 says their local shelter has lots of pities right now. They are all wonderful. Man, we've been looking at, at shelter dogs, too. Um, we've been searching for a puppy for a couple months. And uh, we looked at the shelters around here. We we found a, a few we were interested in. Um but that weren't quite right for us. Most of them were just too old for us. Um, and uh, we like, because we have kids, I feel a lot better about going to um, someone's home and the parent dogs are there. So I can kind of get a feel for the personality of the parent dogs and get a read on how they are. And, you know, with a shelter dog, you don't know. So, um, now our last, our last pity was a stray that we found an escapee from an abusive family that we, that we, my wife happened to come across. Actually, he ran out in front of my car, her car and she almost hit him one night. And, um, oh, he's one of the best dogs ever. One of the best dogs ever. And he turned, we have no idea who his family, who his parents are or any, we don't know anything about his history. But he turned out amazing as a rescue. Um, but I, I kind of feel like we got lucky in a way. We also didn't have kids at that time and when we first found him. And uh, kids, came, kids came later. And luckily everything worked out as far as that goes. But we just feel more comfortable getting a puppy where we can meet the parents and, and you know, learn about them. We have to consider our kids in this, of course, as everybody understands, but, um, we've been praying about it. I, I very strongly, um, believe that 
that God sent us that last pit that we didn't, it didn't run out in front of my wife's car by accident that night. It was, uh, it was out. He was absolutely God sent. And, um, he was a lot of work to bring back, um, to turn into a kind of normalize him. He had so much, um, he had been so badly abused. So it was a lot of work to rehab him and turn him into a normal dog. I mean, for the first year we, we couldn't really pet him. Um, he was so, he was so scared of being around people and you couldn't have anything in your hand when you were around him. Um, it took us a long time to get him to get over the damage from that abuse. Um, but we believe God sent him to us, um, so that we could do that for him. And also, so he could, he could be this amazing dog for us. He comforted us a lot and, um, taught us a lot about empathy and, um, yeah, it was, it was really good. So we've been praying about the next dog for a while and, um, hopefully the puppies we, we go to look at today are one of them is, is, uh, is also a godsend. Um, but we're also praying that if they're not, we have the, the discernment to realize that and that we can say no to the dog, no matter how cute how cute it is it may, it just may not be a good fit for our family so um anyway i'm looking forward to it looking forward to it um so uh thanks guys really appreciate y'all tuning in this week it's i'm i'm glad to be back uh doing this and um i i'm gonna say that monday's show i'm unsure of whether or not i'm doing a show monday morning I may do a show Monday morning. I may not. I'll post it on my socials and post it on a rumble and all that if I do. But there will be defected on Sunday at 9 p.m. So that'll be the next show. Um, guys, remember, we're not going to win every battle, but we are going to win this war. Also, remember that Singapore is this weekend Formula One. It's going to be awesome. I hope you guys are watching it too, just like I will be. And God bless. Y'all have a good one. See you Sunday.